Today on Inside Politics, political gravity catches up to Republicans. Two years after Dobbs and Alabama court decision careens into the campaign trail and makes a congressional flamethrower look like the voice of reason. Why the IVF ruling has Republicans searching for a response. Plus, Ukraine's fight for survival turns two. It enters year three of trying to beat back Vladimir Putin's invasion with a significant battlefield loss, coupled with fears of losing the financial support of its American allies. And Senator Elizabeth Warren joins me live to talk about that IVF decision and why she disagrees with some of her fellow progressives who are fed up with the Biden presidency. I'm Dana Bash. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. Up first, don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Tomorrow is the South Carolina primary, and it may prove pivotal for Donald Trump, fatal for Nikki Haley or something in between. But the Republican Party finds itself less focused on that and more focused on finding an acceptable answer to this question. What should Republicans tell parents who want to start a family but need to try IVF? CNN's Kristen Holmes is in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Kristen, I want to talk about uh, how the campaigns and Republicans in general are reacting to that. But first, we just got a brand new ad from Nikki Haley's Super PAC, I should say SFA, the Super PAC, that supports her. It's very harsh on Donald Trump. Listen to this. You fed up with all the politicians? Sick of washed up failures that just won't go away? Had enough of the scandals and the insults? The lawsuits and the drama? Tired of the rage-filled rants and tweets? Ready to make it all go away? Well, you can. On February 24th, vote to end the chaos. I mean, washed up failures? That's, I'm sure, going to be... Uh something that hits pretty hard inside the Trump campaign personally as well. It is. It is, Dana. And look, Nikki Haley has continued to outspend Donald Trump, both the super PAC and the campaign pumping out these ads. But I am reminded of something that happened before we even got to the Iowa caucuses, which was that the Club for Growth and the super PAC that supports Club for Growth that was trying to run any single Republican candidate against Donald Trump put out a memo saying that every single type of ad that they put out didn't work, that actually any kind of different structure made some Republican voters even more likely to vote for Donald Trump. And the reason I say that here is because it does appear that that's what's happening in South Carolina. He is leading in the state by 30 points, despite the fact that she has outspent him, despite the fact that she has outpaced him on the campaign trail, and despite the fact that she was the governor of this state, he does appear to steamroll her. And it's not just in South Carolina. It's also those Super Tuesday states he's leading in all of them as well. That, um, again, that was an outside group. It wasn't her campaign. But she continues to say that if she doesn't get the nomination, she will support a Donald Trump washed up or, or not. I, I want to turn to this Alabama court ruling that embryos have the same rights as children, which is now a dominant political story. Uh, what are you hearing from the Trump campaign specifically? Uh, it's very noteworthy that he hasn't said anything about it yet. Yeah, Dana, it's noteworthy, but it's also not that surprising given how he feels about abortion on the campaign trail. So what we've seen from Donald Trump time and time again is this wanting to walk the line between being the architect of the overturning of Roe v. Wade by appointing those three justices 
but also not wanting to talk about abortion at all when he thinks that politically it will not help him. But it's starting to feel more and more like a general election, particularly when you're hearing Joe Biden, president, and Democrats go after Republicans and Donald Trump's campaign specifically on this issue, on this Alabama ruling that said the frozen embryos were people, and linking it to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And we haven't heard any sort of response from Donald Trump or from the campaign. But again, that doesn't seem that surprising, given the fact that he still has not figured out how to message on abortion when it comes to a general election. Even just last night at an event, he was going between taking credit for the fact that Roe v. Wade was overturned and also telling the crowd that to win elections, which his line for essentially saying, stop talking about abortion so people can get elected. We also have to remember that we have to have people elected. So some things that uh, you feel and you have to go with your heart, you have to stay with that. You have to stay with your heart, but you have to get elected. You have to get people elected. That is certainly walking a line if I've ever heard one. And clearly the Republicans and Donald Trump, if he is in fact the nominee, are going to have to figure out their messaging on abortion, particularly after this ruling that has really captivated the country. Yeah, no question about that. Um, yes, he's walking a line. And uh, if he, assuming he is in the general election, this is not going to be an easy issue for him to, uh, to walk away from. Thank you so much, Kristen. Appreciate it. And the Alabama embryo decision has Republicans, as we were talking about, back on their heels, struggling to respond to an unpopular court ruling that virtually no one wants to defend, not even hardline conservative warriors like Congressman Matt Gates. Listen to what he told my colleague, Abby Phillip, last night. I believe the Alabama law needs to change because the Republican Party cannot be the party against family formation. I want to bring in my great panel to talk about all of this, CNN's Gloria Borger, Hans Nichols of Axios, and the Boston Globe's Jackie Kucinich. I mean, that Matt Gates comment was so concise. I mean, he obviously knows how to talk in a soundbite, but the fact that he's clearly leading the way on messaging on this to try to move the Republican Party back to the middle is, is astonishing. On that note, we just got a memo from the National Republican Senatorial Committee. This is the committee that is in charge of electing Republicans to the Senate. Very, very important. Listen to what they just said about this IVF um, issue. This is their recommendation to Senate candidates, Republicans. Clearly state your support for IVF and fertility-rated ser services as blessings for those seeking to have children publicly oppose any efforts to restrict access to IVF and other fertility treatments, advocate for policies that increase access to fertility treatments. Well, there you go. I mean, it couldn't be any clearer. This is all they needed. I'm sure they ran to the medicine chest looking for some Advil after they heard this ruling. Or something stronger. Yeah, I mean, it was, <laughs> it was written in theological terms yes. in many ways by the chief judge there. And it, you know, they have enough trouble with the issue of abortion and the Dobbs decision. Right. And this is supposed to be a party that is pro-family. And what this does is it hurts women's chances, families' chances of growing. And, uh, you know, I think most people in Congress understand that. Maybe Tommy Tuberville didn't. Uh, but I think that, uh, you know, because he said he supported the decision. But then he said he wanted well, families to grow. Let's, so. let's listen to that. Tommy Tuberville, oh, okay. who uh, not only is a conservative Republican, happens to represent 
the state of Alabama. Right. I was all for it. Uh, you know, you just got to look at everything going on in the country. It's a, just a tack on families. Aren't you concerned that this could impact people who are trying to have kids? Well, that's for that's for another conversation. I think the big thing is right now you protect, you go back to the situation and, and try to work it out to where it's best for everybody. People need to have access. People need to have We need more kids. Would you like to translate, Jackie? <laughs> I don't know what IVF is, <laughs> is, is, is what that, that seemed to uh, indicate. No, but it, it, this has been, the abortion issue, Gloria, is absolutely right. It's been very hard for Republicans to, to talk about. They've tried to land in like a, a weird middle ground. They say some restrictions are okay. I mean, Glenn Youngkin, you could argue, lost, um, wasn't able to get majorities in, the, uh, in both houses of the Virginia legislature because he decided, because abortion was such a big issue and he landed on the 15 week. It is just not something that they know how to talk about. And this just adds another layer of, um, you know, uh, uh, problems for them on this issue. Nikki Haley is maybe um, exhibit A of the evolution and is trying to kind of trying to uh, walk on what she clearly sees as a political landmine and try to have firm footing. Uh, at first, she said earlier this week that she very much agrees that embryos are our babies. And then she finally came to the question uh, that people are asking about separate from that, which is about the ruling itself. Listen to what she told Jake Tapper. You then disagree with the Alabama Supreme Court, right? Yeah, I, but I think that the court was doing it based on the law, and I think Alabama needs to go back and look at the law. All you have to do is make sure that parents are protected and make sure that there is a scenario where these embryos are protected. The rest is between the parents and the doctor. And Hans, just to kind of give our viewers a sense of how widespread the use of IVF is to grow families. 2023, 42% of people said that they either have used fertility treatments or know somebody who has. I mean, that's a pretty big jump even from 2018. Yeah, I mean, we all know this from our conversations, from friends, like IVF is part of American culture. It's part of Western culture. It doesn't seem to be that debatable. And the theological terms that, that your description there was pretty telling about what the court did. To me, what's interesting on this, the Republican reaction, isn't necessarily the content, right? Okay, Tuberville muddled that, like he was a little bit confused, right? <laughs> like, like, but when you look at Matt Gates said, you look at all the House Republicans that are representing Biden districts, they were very quick to come out and say, no, I am pro-IVF. Mm -hmm. And so I think the broader point, even with this NRSC memo, it's so clear the content isn't that surprising, but the speed is. And sometimes I, you speed think it was tells fast? you. I well, thought it took the, a little while. Okay, 18 Republicans last night were pretty fast. Yeah. Like Congress isn't out. Some of this is on us. Yeah, that's true. Katie Britt, like uh, the other senator from Alabama, spoke to her local outlet and came out. Um, you know, again, it's you, we could have a debate on how fast. Yeah, about, yeah. Like, but they did seem to move faster. They certainly did on Dobbs. Certainly did on some of the other cultural issues. That's true. And so they're now at a place now where they're trying to defend sort of being pro-family, pro-life and pro-IVF, they still haven't squared the circle though, which is right. what do you do with the, what do you do with embryos? Right. If you're for IVF, what do you do with embryos that haven't been, haven't been used to create life or take the next step? And forgive me if my language is inexact here, but yeah. they still haven't solved that. None of those answers I heard solved that issue. And, well, and, the pro and it's very difficult. It's about as complicated yeah. as it gets. Very right? complicated. And also another political complication is that the ardent pro-life groups 
are applauding this decision. So the Republicans are, who are pro-life are, are caught here because a lot of their supporters are saying this is exactly what we want. Life begins in the dish uh, and it doesn't, and this is what we've been saying all along. And so what does the Republican Party do about that? Because there is going to be a, a big split on that as well. Yeah. All right. Everybody stand by because up next, President Biden is marking two years of the war in Ukraine with a slew of new sanctions against Vladimir Putin's Russia. We'll talk about that next. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Today, the Biden administration leveled the largest single-day round of sanctions on Russia since the start of the war in Ukraine. Last hour, President Biden said Putin is responsible for the brutal war on Ukraine and needs to pay the price for his actions. That's why I'm announcing more than 500 new sanctions in response. In response to Putin's brutal war of conquest, in response to uh, Alexei Navalny's death, because make no mistake, Putin is responsible. We in the United States are going to continue to ensure that Putin pays the price for his aggression abroad and repression at home. Those more than 500 new sanctions hit individuals the White House says are directly connected to the imprisonment and death of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny and two years of war in Ukraine. CNN's Nick Payton Walsh joins me now live on the ground in uh, southern Ukraine. I am sure, uh, Nick, that uh, in Ukraine there is, they're happy about these sanctions on Russia, but would be more happy if Congress would pass the aid that Ukraine says it desperately needs. Yeah, I mean, look, realistically, the U.S. had been burrowing into their toolkit of sanctions over the past two years, always trying to find that sweet spot of escalating without damaging the U.S. economy by doing something like, for example, interrupting the crude oil trade and raising oil prices. But ultimately, it is that $60 billion worth of aid that really would make Ukrainians here feel better. And that is certainly held up. 
these sanctions? Well, it, we can have to see over time really how effective they are because a lot of the time uh, Russia has become exceptionally resilient, able to work around the shell companies used, for example, to import specific bits of technology from the US that they use in missiles or drones, for example, to or use uh, complex measures in terms of international shipping to get around some of the sanctions on their sale uh, of crude oil. So a very complex procedure that the US has because ultimately they have to keep US interests economically at heart as well. But Ukraine I think trying to sell a complex message at the moment of both strength on the front line, holding back multiple different front line assaults by Russia, but also too appealing to their Western allies how desperately they need those $60 billion. Some of that perhaps accentuated by President Volodymyr Zelensky's recent interview to Fox News. I mentioned that media outlet because it is essentially part of trying to appeal uh, to the GOP constituency whose hardline area are essentially behind holding up that $60 billion. We heard about in December, how it would take weeks, maybe months, that to be in evidence on the front line. Well, at the weekend, in the withdrawal from Avdivka, Ukraine made it clear they are suffering deeply on the front line now. As I say, there are four or five multiple other areas where Russians are pushing forwards. These sanctions may, over time, limit that possibly, but ultimately, it's that $60 billion in real assistance to Ukraine that will make an absolute difference, Donna. No question about it. Nick, thank you so much uh, for your reporting. Appreciate it. And our panel is back now. Uh, this is part of now, obviously, part of the political discussion, the campaign discussion, so much so that the uh, Biden White House, not the campaign, but the White House, is attacking Republicans in a very big way over their dragging their feet and in some ways just total opposition to helping Ukraine at this point. This is uh, just came out. Andrew Bates, he's the deputy press secretary, at the White House said, Speaker Johnson is siding with Putin, the regime in Tehran, and his perceived intra-conference political objectives over the well-being of the American people, Ukraine, and NATO. I think just to translate, intra-conference political objectives, what he means is <laughs> that the Republicans are fighting amongst themselves yeah. and he's choosing those who are not for Ukraine. Yeah, I think that was the intra, not the inter. Yeah. Right? For, for any of our high school English teachers that are still out there, and I'm sorry, Mrs. Johnson, I never got it right. Uh, look, the White House is going to put out statements like this. They're going to continue to escalate. This is a fight that they want to have and they think it's worth having. There's the political side of this, which they think cuts in their favor. They think that the polling clearly indicates the public is on their side. But talk to any White House official, privately or publicly, and they will say they'd much rather have the aid. What they want is what Nick Patton Walsh was talking about, which is the $60 billion. Mm -hmm. It is so crucial, and no one inside the White House disputes that, and the time is short. But, yeah, I was going to say, but they're dealing with a speaker who doesn't have control. He does not have control of his Republican conference, and Republican voters... Uh, uh, particularly of, from some of these um, more conservative members, are not in favor of aid. And that's who they're listening to. The isolationism has really taken root, particularly in the House Republican Conference. And Johnson hasn't really shown his uh, ability to navigate himself out of much that he doesn't want what, to do. What a difference just a couple of years uh, have made. I want you to listen to what the former speaker, Kevin McCarthy, said uh, back in 2022 and now what the current speaker, Mike Johnson, is saying. I vote for aid for Ukraine. I support aid for Ukraine. There are important questions that must be answered uh, so that we can continue with these negotiations. Among those is, what is the objective? What is the end game in Ukraine? The end game is defend democracy, right. push back Putin. Yeah, things like that. But one of those is speaker and one of those isn't speaker. Mm -hmm. 
And I think what Johnson is trying to do, quite bluntly, is save his own job. That's, it really is as easy as that. And he's trying to figure out a way to do that. And, you know, don't forget, there's aid to Israel tied up in all of this. There's the issue of border security tied up in all of this. But he needs to get a vote where it's carried by Republicans and not with Democrats, because it would pass in the House. Democrats mm -hmm. would vote for it. And then he would go down with the ship. And he knows that. So he's got a bit of a problem there. But at, I think for, from the Democratic point of view and from the White House point of view, it's a, political, a good political move to tie this to Putin. Mm -hmm. Because Putin is not well liked in this country, maybe by some people, maybe by Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. But the more you tie this to being a Putin ally, the easier it is to make that argument, I think. And it is interesting that you're right. This is, we've all said it, this is coming from the grassroots of the conservative, more isolationist wing of the GOP, which is why, as Nick Payton Walsh pointed out, Vladimir Zelensky went on Fox News to try to reach those very viewers slash voters. So will Ukrainians survive without Congress support, of course, but not all of us. And if we understand this price, if the world is ready for this, okay, you will see it. But it's tragedy. Well, he's laying it out very starkly, right? That's, that's the decision for Congress to make. As to this sort of broader question is, are the votes there in the House and the Senate? Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, like, we've all had these conversations. The votes are there. Now, I don't know whether or not Ukraine aid or a government funding bill is going to sign a potential death warrant for the current speaker. Mm. I don't know which one is more politically toxic. They are probably gaming this out. They're thinking about it. There is a view within the Republican conference that they have to get caught trying to put up a really good fight. <laughs> and so they want to continue to, there, there's this idea of, make it look difficult and eventually you could get there but i'm not convinced they get there on either of them and that's why these next few weeks are going to be interesting domestically and in, on the foreign front well it's historic and and you know joe biden points that out at every opportunity for this country to be on the side of ukraine it's almost as if he's saying don't be appeasers here because what you'll be doing is appeasing vladimir putin um it is 2024 and it is primary season and there is one tomorrow that's in South Carolina. The expectation is that voters will deliver Donald Trump a resounding win. But the question is, then what? I'm going to ask two Republicans who have been on the inside after a quick break. We are one day out from the South Carolina primary. The polls show Donald Trump is going to win bigly. But Nikki Haley says even an embarrassing loss in her home state won't force her out of the race. And I'm not doing this for me. Like they want first they want to say that I was I wanted to be vice president. I think I've pretty much proven that is not what I'm trying to do. <laughs> then they were talking about my political future. I don't care about a political future. If I did, I would have been out by now. Donald Trump says he doesn't get it. Well, I guess she's got an ego or something. I don't know exactly what she's doing. Maybe she's looking for a job in some form at CNN or MSDNC. You know, <laughs> she's looking for something. 
Well, let's try to make sense of all of this. We have two experts. Whit Ayers is a seasoned GOP consultant and founder of the North Star Opinion Research, of North Star Opinion Research, I should say. And Kevin Madden is an alum of Mitt Romney's two presidential runs in 2008 and 2012. He's also a senior partner at Penta Group. Nice to see you both. Good to be here. Uh, <clears throat> okay, well, let's start with what we just heard and just kind of the big picture of what is happening in South Carolina and more broadly with what remains of this primary. Nana, Donald Trump is likely to win for two fundamental reasons. The first is that South Carolina has historically been a Republican establishment state where elected officials have had a substantial influence. Bob Dole over Lamar Alexander in 96, George W. Bush over John McCain in 2000, and John McCain over Mike Huckabee in 2008. Now, it may seem weird to talk about Donald Trump as an establishment, but the Republican National Committee is in his pocket, all the elected officials are for him, that kind of defines the establishment. So that's one thing. Yeah. The, the other thing is the incredible weakness of Joe Biden. We have now three quarters of the country who think we're going the wrong direction. He's got a majority of the country disapproves of his job performance. And now we have a new poll that says 86% of Americans think he's too old to serve effectively in a second term. 86%. Dana, 86% of Americans don't agree on anything except Joe Biden's too old to run. Let's, let's go back to just uh, to what's going to happen in South Carolina, because the first point that you made about the party establishment, you're right. We should take a moment and say the fact that Donald Trump is establishment now is true, but it's just like, just let that sink in for a second. <laughs> uh, but this is something that uh, caught our attention. It was in The New Yorker this morning, and it is a quote from Ralph Norman, who is a Republican mm -hmm. congressman there, supporter of Nikki Haley. People ask me all the time. She upset the stature of the good old boys system, he said. And this is um, something that she says all the time. And maybe it's true. Well, look, that's how she defined her political profile yeah. when she won as governor um, many years back. Uh, and uh, beat a, you know, beat a, went, got through a primary of a lot of the sort of establishment down there and then emerged as a national figure. But the interesting thing here is this hasn't been much of a campaign. You know, I joke around with a lot of reporters. They're like, well, I want to talk to you about the campaign. I was like, what campaign? <laughs> we've, we've, you, we've both worked on campaigns. You've covered uh, how many now, uh, Dana, right? I mean, a lot. <laughs> but South Carolina was where all the fun was, right? We used to have debates that really, I mean, the, the polls used to shift back and forth depending on what happened in Iowa and New Hampshire. And then we would go down to New Hampshire. And I remember all the political operatives I used to work with down there, they used to say, hey, you know, we don't just go through the motions down here. This is hard, rough and tumble politics. And this is a campaign where it's been very quiet. We haven't really seen the contrast between candidates, the attacks. Because it's because he's so far ahead, right? Ex I mean, exactly. is there, is there well, any world yeah. in which you could see what we're seeing now? No, I don't. I don't see. It. Begala, Paul Begala had a great saying back in the day. He said, "You know, campaigns are driven by media coverage of four things: polls, money, scandals, and attacks. The polls have been pretty Steady. stable, yeah. right? Trump's been very far ahead, right? The money, like, there's not been a whole lot of stories about resource debates or resource fights or anything like that because, at the most, we've seen like upsurges in Nikki Haley's." fundraising depending on her on our on her performance in some of the debates 
haven't really had any scandals. At least maybe we become a nerd to what this, yeah, I mean, what, the, it, what defines yeah, a scandal, yeah, right? Yeah. And then the attacks, the attacks haven't come until too counts. late. Yeah. So there hasn't really been a campaign. You know, go ahead. I was just going to say, this is where Biden's weakness is relevant because Nikki Haley's best argument for the people who voted for Trump twice but were worried he might not be able to win was, I can beat Biden, Trump can't. And that was true for a while. But now all the polls are showing that Trump is beating Biden in all the swing states. If the election were held today, Donald Trump would win an electoral college landslide. Not popular vote, he'd get his 46, 47 percent, but he'd win in a landslide. And so that undercuts the very best argument that Nikki Haley had to make in this race. Mm. And that took a lot of wind out of her sails. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting point, although I, I would say that... Um there's a question about whether, even if that were still the case, if Joe Biden were doing better, people would even listen because they're so focused in yeah. the GOP electorate on Donald Trump. Thank you both. Appreciate, Appreciate you both coming on. Thank you. Up next, Senator Elizabeth Warren will be here. We'll talk about that Alabama embryo decision and whether some of her fellow progressives are right to be frustrated with President Biden. Stay with us. Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show, like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max. Shockwaves across the nation after the Alabama Supreme Court ruled that frozen embryos have the same rights as children. The decision throws the future of in vitro fertilization in the state and maybe even more broadly into question. Joining me now to talk about this and more is Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts. Thank you so much for being here, Senator. You have been sounding the alarm since Roe versus Wade was overturned, arguing that restricting abortion access could only be the beginning, and then access to fertility treatment could be next. My question for you is, um, on the abortion issue, federal legislation, just because of the numbers in Congress, looks unlikely. But what about fertility? Could what happened in Alabama prompt some form of federal legislation on fertility? Oh, you know, you're asking a Democrat? Of course, <laughs> we'd be very, very happy well, you also know to the move numbers. legislation. That's right, so that um, the women who want access to fertility treatments can make their own decisions. But we're up against a wall with the Republicans. The Republicans are telling us over and over and over who they are. And they are people who are captured by the idea that extremist judges and right-wing extremists in their own party are the ones who will make decisions for women intimate decisions about our bodies and our futures. And it's true on abortion. And now they've made clear it is true on in vitro fertilization. This really is about who makes decisions. And the Republicans say right now, as a party, it is their position. Decisions about women and women's health should be made by extremist judges and MAGA politicians Democrats say they should be made by women and their doctors. Yeah, I mean, not for nothing, 30 to 40 percent of all infertility cases are male factor, not uh, not female factor. But uh, 
you know, you mentioned about Republicans and um, kind of where they are on the policy on abortion. On this particular issue, I'm sure you've seen a lot of Republicans are struggling to figure out how to message, how to respond to Alabama's court ruling. I want you to listen to something that Republican Congressman Matt Gates told my colleague Abby Phillip last night. Like something is totally wrong. The people who want to have a family should have the government and the law on their side. And the notion that discarded embryos in, in IVF somehow turn these people who want children and want families and want the American dream into criminals is, is really wrong. Did you ever think, I assume you agree with what he just said, did you ever think that you would agree with Matt Gates on this issue of all things? So look, he's right, but what's he planning to do about it? And what is his party planning to do about it? Are they really going to stand up and introduce legislation? If they are and the Republicans are ready to go, we can change the law right now. But that's not where they are. They are beholden to this extremist wing of their party. Donald Trump enabled them by getting an extremist Supreme Court that overturned Roe versus Wade. And they've made it clear that is only the first step in taking over these intimate decisions that women make. And can we just say for one minute, Dana, I'm glad to talk politics and how it all fits together and the law, but I, I wanna think about the women who have struggled so hard trying to get pregnant, who have gone through a lot of medical procedures, who've, who've committed a lot of their financial wherewithal in order to try to have a baby. And then to get a gut punch like this from the Alabama Supreme Court, to have someone declare from that position that these are women who are subject to the wrath of God because they're not behaving in the way that he has decided they should behave. How, how do we do this to our fellow human beings? How do we do this to the women who just want to try to have a family and it's it's harder for them than it is for some others and that's what they're trying to do so i just want to keep front and center in my heart and my mind the women who are now going through this and that drives home the urgency once more abortion and ivf are going to be on the ballot in november 2024. Uh, Senator, I, I want to turn uh, briefly to immigration. We're learning that President Biden is considering new executive action to restrict migrants' ability to seek asylum at the U.S.-Mexico border. border. You've, I'm sure, heard some of the criticism from your fellow progressives. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez posted that doing Trump impressions isn't how it will be. Trump seeking asylum is a legal right of all people. Is this the right move for the Biden administration? So we're a long way off from uh, any decision on this and knowing exactly what it's going to look like. But I will tell you right now that we're in a real mess because of the Republicans. As you know, uh, last October, we were trying to get through funding for Ukraine and their fight for democracy. And the Republicans said we can't do it without a border bill. So the Democrats sat down with the Republicans. We negotiate this border bill. And when it's announced, a lot of Republicans and a lot of Democrats stood up and said, okay, we can make this work. And then Donald Trump said, no, he wants chaos at the border because he thinks that will improve his chances 
for getting elected. And the consequence is the Republicans killed off this deal. And, and I just want to underscore what that means. That means the resources that we need in order to do work at the border, the resources we need in the states and communities that are caring for migrants, all that disappeared. The change in the law, something I've been fighting yeah. for, to give work permits to people who are here so they could get out of congregate settings and out of the shelters, all of that disappeared. So the Republicans are trying to, to say, we don't want any solutions here. We want there to be chaos because we think that's gonna help Donald Trump. That is not good for America. They know that, and they are putting Trump and Trump's personal interests ahead of the good of our country. Senator, it's always good to see you. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Good to see you too, Dana. Coming up, a rising star and then a dramatic fall from grace. An inside look at one of the most sensational sex scandals in American history, the John Edwards affair. CNN's Jake Tapper went behind the scenes of this shocking story. He's here next. In the new CNN original series, United States of Scandal, Jake Tapper takes a closer look at some of the most riveting political controversies of our time. This week, Jake takes a look at the scandal that brought down former North Carolina senator and one-time presidential candidate, John Edwards. How often were you seeing John at this point? Every week, every couple weeks? A lot. Oh, more? I went everywhere. The staffers knew who I was. So like for me to get into his hotel room was challenging. John Edwards believed he could outsmart anyone, but someone has to be complicit here in this. The person Riel and John say enabled their affair was campaign staffer Andrew Young. Andrew denies that he was doing anything more than following John's orders. So keep in mind, this is a story full of unreliable narrators and opinions differ. And of course, the only person cheating on his spouse and lying to voters about who he was, was the candidate himself. They had a separate phone. They called the bat phone. Whenever John would want to talk to Rael, they'd start humming the theme from Batman. And that was kind of the cue for Andrew to flip him the phone uh, to talk to Rael. So it was quite elaborate. Wow, that's pretty incredible. Jake Tapper joins me now, two-time uh, president. Two-time president, but also just, just take a step back. All this craziness, all these machinations, yeah. sneaking the woman into the, into the hotel room, she's pregnant, all that stuff. He's running for president And at has the time. a wife who was sick. And has a sick wife at the time and children. Right. But I mean, just, he's running for president at the time, the most scrutinized position that there is. Yeah. I, I, remember, I was telling you this before we came on. I was at the uh, Edwards announcement for president when he ran in 2008. You had a lot of hopes for him. Yeah. I, I remember guy. her because it was very radical yeah. to have your own videographer on the campaign train. Sure. I remember her. She wanted well, people to see what the real John Edwards was like. I guess we have. <laughs> yeah, well, but I mean, that's what the behind the scenes no, stuff was. And and, and, uh, and then all of a sudden it was all taken down. What's she like? Uh, she's charming and nice. She has a decent perspective on it, although some of the things she said were a little contradictory. She says that John Edwards is in their daughter's life, uh, their daughter Quinn, who will turn 16 this year and is a good uh, co-parent. Um, but the scandal really is unbelievable. And to see it through her eyes... To see it through real Hunter's eyes uh, was fascinating and really, like, journalistically really satisfying because you always wonder, what are they thinking? Mm -hmm. Or what is he thinking? What is she thinking? And to hear it from her 
was really amazing. What a great idea. Not just this, but the, all the other uh, political scandals that we all covered so heatedly uh, real time to go back and take a, a perspective. Well, you have the perspective of what it lo the world looks like from 2024 yeah. and everything we've experienced the last 10 years. But also now you can hear the entire story because when we cover these stories, it's, it's drip, drip, drip. Now we have the whole Shakespearean saga. Love it. Can't wait to see it. And you can tune in to an all-new CNN original series, United Shades of Scandal with Jake Tapper. It uh, is on to a Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. That is just the latest in his series. It's so good. Please tune in. Thanks for joining Inside Politics. CNN News Central starts after the break. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.